Welcome to the Commune Podcast. This is Jeff Krasno. How many of you may receive my weekly Sunday Commusing article, where I address a breadth of issues from the spiritual to the socio-political. And on occasion, I will also record an audio version of these articles and release it here as a bonus episode. So this week's missive is written and delivered by my Commune co-founder, brother from another mother, and partner, Jake Laub. Now, when I use the word yoga, please don't misconstrue it for pretzeling yourself into a human knot. Yoga, Sanskrit for to yoke, is quite simply union, ultimately a sensation of samadhi or integrated consciousness when the illusion that you are a separate self melts away. Now, along the highway to this somatic satori, the yogic path offers myriad roadside rest areas to experience unification, body and mind, nature and yourself, light and shadow, and inevitably life and death. But the commodified yoga of the West is too often redolent with the perfume of the ego. It's objectified, lithe, lycra-clad forms, it's whimsical handstands, it's bespoke accessories are designed for the gaze of others. Of course, when we identify with the ego that tells us that we are what other people think, or what we have, or our position in society, then we doom ourselves to another form of exercise, running on a hedonic treadmill with no stop button. So in this week's missive, my dear friend Jake recounts his journey out of the performative and into the reformative, a process of reforming the self as something seen in one's own eye and not through those of others. This process is none other than the practice of yoga itself. So feel free to send me a note anytime by pigeon or at jeffk at onecommune.com and follow my daily exhortations on Instagram at Jeff Krasno. So without further delay, here's this week's commusing by Jake Laub titled The Mosquito Bites an Iron Bull. This is Jake Laub reading The Mosquito Bites an Iron Bull From Ballet to Yoga, The Hard Way Around I used to have four extra bones in my feet. Now I have three, but I've decided the rest can stay where they are. In some ways, that fateful fourth bone was doomed the moment my mother called our small-town dance academy and asked, My ten-year-old wants to join a ballet class. Do you have space? Oh, sorry, we're all full for the quarter. Ah, he'll be so disappointed. He? A boy? Bring him in. During my first class, the teacher took off my leather slippers and, while 15 girls in pink tights watched, jammed her fingers between each and every toe, painfully stretching the webbing, frog-like. Ten years later, a different yet equally imposing artistic director looked at me during my first company class, grabbed a solid handful of my right thigh, and said, we are going to take these muscles and move them over here. Ballet was, in retrospect, less fun than pretty much anything else I could think of doing once I was a decade in 
but I was strangely committed to the magic of making something incredibly difficult look easy. And so when a variety of shooting pains began to develop in my ankles, I lowered my head, popped ibuprofen, and plowed through my plies. The women of the company bled through the lamb's wool they stuffed in their point shoes. Who was I to complain? Pain in the wings, grace on stage, two sides of the same coin. X-rays revealed those four extra bones in my feet, two accessory naviculars on the inner arch of the foot, and two ostrogonum, accessory bones that develop behind the ankle. Uh, brief aside, your body does not match the muscle and skeleton posters in your massage therapist's office. For example, ostrogonum is present in approximately 15 to 30% of the population, but it's mostly asymptomatic except in ballet dancers and soccer players who tend to extremely impinge the back of the ankle. Many of you are walking around with a non-standard number of ribs or a psoas minor or an extra pec muscle called the sternalis. The list goes on. Uh, my model skeleton is named Norm, so I can remind people, none of you are the norm. All right. I opted to remove the left ostrogonum, the most painful of the three. And at 24 years old, I remember leaping off stage after my final performance before surgery thinking, I will never be this good at this crazy skill set again. Like any good dancer, though, I took to rehab with the same determination I poured into 10,000 hours of rehearsal. Though with at least some degree of maturity and self-compassion, I decided I was ready to frolic in the greener pastures of modern dance. In other words, or more accurately, to roll around on the floor. So I moved to New York, and while working my way into the modern dance scene in the city, I took up yoga. A professional level modern dance class in New York City costs $20, but I could roll out my mat at Yoga to the People on St. Mark's Place for a $2 donation and then eat a $2 falafel downstairs at Mamoon's, making for a sub $5 sweaty Saturday morning. I quickly learned, however, a good dancer is not automatically a good yogi. Here's why I thought I would be good at yoga. I will probably be good at yoga because I'm a dancer and dancers are good at everything. Okay, wait, scratch that. I will be good at yoga because I am more flexible than 95% of the people I know, and a dance teacher made me do some yoga poses once and they didn't seem too hard. Also, if I can tap dance blind as the back half of an elephant and deadlift and a ballerina from a deep squat, surely I can learn a sun salutation and do chair pose with my eyes closed. And this is me after trying yoga for a month. Why can't I hold my arms above my head in external rotation for more than 30 seconds? Why have I never noticed that I can't stand with parallel feet? Why is a proper Hanumanasana so much harder than the splits? How is it possible there are so many nooks and crannies of my body I have never even thought to stretch before? And this, I realized, is one of the fundamental disconnects. Yoga and ballet are so far apart on the movement spectrum that they curve around and settle next to each other in our minds. Kind of like how the political far left and the political far right can act in surprisingly similar ways, even as they hold diametrically opposing values. The spectrum is U-shaped, but you can't simply hop over the gap. 
There are many similarities between ballet and yoga, an emphasis on precise body alignment, breath technique, mental focus, but at its core, yoga is about your relationship with yourself, and ballet, really professional dance in general, is about how your body looks to other people. Yoga is inward. What new domains can I explore within my body? How am I reacting to this pose or breath pattern in this moment? There is no absolute right or wrong. Professional dance is outward. Is this what my choreographer wants? Do I look fabulous? The audience is always right. That form over feeling mentality backed by years of stage training, was ultimately the last aspect of my dancer self to soften. Within a year, my shoulders had opened, my hips had realigned, and my wrists could hold me in handstand. But even then, the yoga teacher was always my director, the sequence my choreography, and the yogi next to me my audience. It wasn't until at least five years into my yoga journey that I let myself be guided on the mat by internal goals as opposed to external ones, that how I looked to myself inside was more important than how I looked outside. It was a long journey, but eventually I trekked all the way around the you. I wrote an outline of those last few paragraphs in my journal about seven years ago. And I remember feeling rather smug about the progress I was making. But oh, how yoga is an onion. You cry peeling off every layer. It's true, I gradually let go of the performance value of my practice. And when a teacher might approach me after class and say, what a beautiful practice you have, I genuinely felt self-conscious and somewhat embarrassed. But gradually, as I continued to be drawn toward ever more esoteric and rigorous asana practices, I realized that on my inward journey, I have met an even more subtle and draconian artistic director, my own sense of sensation. I am a sensation junkie. In a way, an adoring audience is addictive because it is such a crude and obvious form of validation that what you are doing in life is worthwhile and has meaning. You perform and they applaud. But pain, in a weird way, can serve a similar function. Why is it so hard not to stick your tongue in a slow healing sore even though you know that makes it worse? Why do we rub ourselves raw on our own negative thoughts. Some of us just can't help licking the knife's edge of sensation just to make sure it's still there. I now can see that in trying to be present and awake in my body, I often seek intense sensations because in doing so, I am so much more clearly alive. Anything less than burning, aching, straining is an anti-sensation. The audience is not applauding. If I'm honest with myself, this is where I still am in my journey, somewhat stuck in this layer of the onion. Every once in a while, I even find myself making a mighty effort to be easeful. The wisdom of Zen philosopher Alan Watts is helping though. He says, quote, so here's the problem. I come and say to the teacher, teach me not to grasp. And the teacher says, why do you want to know? And then he shows you that the reason you want to stop grasping is that it's a new form of grasping. So you realize there is nothing I can do about it, and there is nothing I cannot do about it." End quote. 
You bind yourself so tight as you vacillate between the extremes of the paradox that eventually you simply let go of the entire paradox itself and accept the inseparable yin-yang interconnectedness of the lived human experience. Pain in the wings, grace on stage, two sides of the same coin. In Zen, this revelatory predicament is apparently called the mosquito trying to bite an iron bull. At some level, you must exert effort to be effortless, but also no effort is required. What a dance. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Commune Podcast. Feel free to drop me a line any old time at jeffk at onecommune.com. And if so inclined, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.